Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Simples edition of Romaniacs. It's our 100th podcast. We thought we'd take time out for a leisurely look at two important issues we haven't done in enough detail. The border in Ireland and the issue of Norway Plus, or Common Market 2.0. We booked two exceptionally well-informed guests. We're trying to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Do we um, have to? Exceptionally well-informed guests who we'll meet in a moment. On Monday, the Labour Party finally fell off the fence regarding a people's vote, or did they? Theresa May finally caved on giving MPs a vote on no deal and a delay to Brexit. And at this very moment, Wednesday afternoon, there's a logjam of Brexit amendments that will determine the very future of the country, working their way through Parliament. Happy centenary to us. (laughs) I'm Dorian Linsky and two of our regulars are with me. Hello to actor, comedian, writer, director and F5 refresh button presser. When it comes to Brexit news, Ingrid Oliver. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. It was my birthday this week. Um, and all my presents were Brexit-related. Uh, I've become like that, that kid. When you're, when you're a child, you sound like owls. And then your grandmother, every Christmas, every birthday, you just get owl. <laughs> owl brothers, owl pencil cases. For me, it's now Brexit. I'm wearing a necklace. Brexit owl. European. Brexit um, very touching. My what were the other Brexit gifts? Books, mugs, tea Can towels. you get a Brexit Jesus. pencil gift? You, you can't yet. Gap in the market. Andrew is on it. <laughs> so you've been filming a romantic comedy called Last Christmas. I have. Presumably a Christmassy film. No. With, no. no it is. So I just thought it was like, oh, it's a fake out. <laughs> uh, with uh, Emma Thompson. Is everyone whipping out their phones between takes to catch up on the latest hot, hot Brexit news? Well, funnily enough, the, the first day I walked on set, one, the, one of the crew came up to me and went, oh my God, you're a Romaniacs. And I was like... Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm a massive fan. And uh, it's like I've always said, Brexit is the new rock and roll. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it was really weird. And actually, there was a Danish actor as well, uh, who's brilliant. He was in, in Borgen. I don't know if anyone watched that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very good. And I was a big fan of his, and he, he, was, he was quite damning about the whole thing. He was like, oh, you guys, you're going crazy. What's going on? <laughs> I think that's Dutch. Damn it, I did in Dutch. But, um, you're not there for the accents. Yeah. No, no. That's very good. So, yeah, it well was. Done. It was. And actually, I probably can't reveal too much because um, I, I, well, I can't be retrospectively fired, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> there was some Brexit in the script. There was some Brexit references. And I, which carries on my tradition of only accepting work now that has Brexit, Brexit <laughs> related in some way. So, yes. So looking forward to Last Brexmas coming out soon. <laughs> We're also joined by Ian Dunt, editor of politics.co.uk and a man who tweeted his fingers to the bone yesterday. Hi, Ian. Hey. So was your tweet that the independent group needed to start meeting somewhere less establishmenty, <laughs> because you're a wordsmith, <laughs> um, the reason that they all went to Nando's immediately afterwards and are you to blame for Anna Subri's I wanted to go to Pizza Express sad face? <laughs> I thought that the, the Nando's shot was definitely an improvement, right? And at least we get to just, I mean, like at least half of my colleagues in the lobby spent most of that day just assessing what everyone was eating. Like who, I mean, one person, I can't remember who, went for salad and chips, which is an amazing... Subri. It's Subri. That is an be amazing there. combo. That was a pass hag order. <laughs> <laughs> but then Heidi, I mean, I'm no man, I'm a vegetarian, I'm no Nando's expert, but, uh, but Heidi Allen seemed to be winning the table there. Yeah, well, she, she seems visibly ecstatic at all times now. She seems like someone that's been like set free from a dungeon somewhere. She's just like, hello, birds, hello, trees. Like, off we go. It's quite impressive. Nando's is obviously criminally overrated, but nevertheless, like, at least it was a better look for them. Mm. Yeah. But I do think, like, um, apart from all the political analysis of TIG, um, on a human level, there is there is that feeling that's, that, that you might have if you get out of a bad relationship or you leave a job after too long, where there's just this kind of, like, I don't have to put up with this shit. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, like, they all have that vibe, but Heidi Allen, most of all, it's just <laughs> like, it's like, fuck, this school's out, motherfuckers. <laughs> Which I, f- I find immensely heartwarming. Let's say hello to our special guests. Claire Hanna is the MLA for South Belfast. Her background is in education and development. And on Twitter, she lists her interests as art, sustainability and remaining. Hello, Claire. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Lovely to be here. 
Um, during the response to May's statement yesterday, the backstop came up a lot, but there was only one Irish accent heard, and it was Nigel Dodds of the DUP saying he wants a legally watertight way out of it. Um, is the rest of Britain getting a, a, a sort of proper idea of what people in Northern Ireland think of the backstop? Or do you think that, that sort of voice is underrepresented? Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely not. The DUP speak for about a third of the electorate. Our relationship with democracy is so unhealthy that only half of our MPs take their seats. So hmm. uh, they're misrepresenting us and the other half are probably um, not representing us at all. But in, in fairness, it has fairly uh, broad-based support. Like Remain, uh, a majority of people supported Remain and that went across the communities, you know, unionist, nationalist, and it seems to be fairly watertight for the backstop. Most people uh, get that it's an insurance policy. And do, do you think that, that, that sort of that on the mainland, this having fundamentally ignored Northern Ireland during the referendum campaign, that, that it sort of finally got through that the word backstop has has been used more times than ever in human history. Absolutely. <laughs> and the message got ever through. <laughs> Well, look, I think what has definitely happened, even people who weren't completely sold on it, all of the twists and turns and the changed policies and the reverse promises has underlined the need for it. People were going, if we didn't trust you at the start of it, we definitely don't trust you now. So, so we need it um, more, more than ever. But yeah, I think I think the penny has dropped for a lot of people that, I mean, the, the technical issue that if any part of the island is outside of the single market, but I think it's dawning on people um, the impact it's having in terms of the Good Friday Agreement and on identity and and and, uh, and and peace and all that, but uh, the penny hasn't dropped, unfortunately, with the DUP, who are the ones that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that have uh, the big loud voice in Westminster. We'll talk more about that later. Completing the panel today, Paul Frisvold, trade, energy and climate commentator from Norway, one-time leader of the European movement in Norway, former Olympic fencer, just sharing mm. off now, and the <laughs> author of Towards Europe, the story of a reluctant Norway, where, as he says, the dark corners of the EEA Norwegian model are described in some detail. Hi, Paul. Thanks for coming. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Um, <clears throat> Norway has a sort of famously arm's length relationship with the with the EU. What is? Do you think that Norway has a different view of Brexit and Britain's situation than, for example, members of the EU twenty seven? Or, or is it just similarly so, so, like so, the Danish actor in Last Christmas? So, just well, well, well <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it's very similar. You have to recall that you've had one referendum, at least in modern times. We've had two. And we've hadn't had a uncivil war. We've had cold civil wars. Right. So, mm-hmm. as you as you said, when I became leader of the European movement, my aunt told me, "Paul, did you have to do that? Why did you have to do that? Because nobody wants that discussion again." Mm. <laughs> and that's what this Norwegian model is. If it's good for something, it's good for that. That uh, it allows us to, in some ways, forget about the whole thing. Is it as toxic the the discussion as it is here? Oh, absolutely! Oh, it's, wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. It, it has it splits families, uh, hmm. work colleagues, uh, friendships. It's it's really, really very difficult. It's something that goes across every. I, I don't think there's one political party that has more than sixty percent of either side. Hmm. There, it, it it splits all kinds of uh, uh, assembly of people. Hmm. Oh, and I suppose you haven't actually had a civil breakdown yet, so that's quite promising. Well, you've been living, living, well, because I think everyone's just like we're divided. There's this new yeah. divide, and everyone's a bit True. panicky and just True. like, will we ever uh, come back together? Yeah. Um, you know, as perhaps slightly sort of hysterical uh, tone to that. Yeah. But no, we we, we had it. It was lying there in the bottom. Yeah. So when we had our last referendum with these these horrible, horrible conflicts and and confrontations, uh, it was there. So we knew that. When we, if we lost, we would win every day from now on, as we said. Mm. Whereas those who won, mm. they have lost every day because we have become, we have become increasingly, systematically, continuously um, integrated into the internal market uh, as it has evolved. But we're still not a member. I was told by this Norwegian politician once. We sort of said. We kind of wish you guys would stop talking about this because it keeps on dredging up all of this old shit that we kind of felt like we'd put in the drawer. Is that like a, a feeling that the political class have over there? Like we're, yeah, we're, we're unhelpful. We're very scared. 
Is and we see it already on the opinion polls. Mm -hmm. The no parties are now starting to, uh, to, to rise and to get more and more uh, like our agrarian party. They only live for this issue. Mm -hmm. And now they're up uh, on 20, on 15 points again. And, you think and as, as a result of Brexit? As, as a, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the fact that these issues are surfacing. Mm -hmm. Does the agrarian party have like a kind of rural Nigel Farage then? Yes, absolutely. Oh. Very similar. Very similar. What's, They're just uh, categorically. Name? Does he have a name? Yeah, the, the funny thing is, 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 is his name in Norwegian is Battle, Slagvol. Uh, so it's a battle of violence. And that's, oh, uh, my I Lord. Should, wow. I should that's be a little on the nose. I think, well, in the next draft, we'll, we'll change his name. <laughs> we'll get into all those issues after this quick reminder from Ingrid. There might be only 29 days to Brexit, allegedly, but there's a healthy 37 days until Romaniacs takes the stage at the podcast Live Politics Day in Euston, London. Uh, Dorian plus regulars Naomi Smith, Alex Andreu and Nina Schick will be live on Sunday the 7th of April as part of a festival of politics podcasts, including Ian Dale and Jackie Smith's For the Many Red Box from the Times, Samira Ahmed's How I Found My Voice, and if you like that kind of thing, uh, James Dellingpole's Delling Pod. <laughs> Something for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening at the light opposite Euston Station, and tickets are on sale now at podcastlive.com. Of course, our Patreon supporters get a discount, of course they do, on day tickets, as well as tickets to the Romaniacs show. Check your Patreon inbox for the code. And if you're not backing us on Patreon yet... Why the hell not? <laughs> you'll get dis join now, basically. Uh, you'll get discounts on live tickets, our covetable merchandise, including our new smash hit. 17.4 million people voted for this turd coffee mug. Commemorating Dr. Philip Lee's contretemps with Telegraph columnist Camilla Tomini. Try saying that when you've had a few. And if you're on the $5 tier upwards, our new monthly Ask Romaniacs show, we're recording part two right after the show, and it will be with you at the weekend. Search Patreon Romaniacs or go to our Facebook page to find out more. And at the end of the day, we'll have a battle royale with Dellingpod. <laughs> uh, before we get started, let's remember that it's not the TIG. It's TIG. They're not the, the independence group or the TIG group. It's like pin number. We've had a lot of tweets about this. It's a very sensitive issue. Anyway, there's only two stories this week, and they're big ones. The latest, Theresa Mayhem, and Labour coming out for a people's vote, possibly. Let's start with the government. Theresa May finally accepted the inevitable on Tuesday and conceded that if her amended withdrawal agreement falls on March the 12th, there will be a vote to explicitly rule no deal in or out the next day. And if they do rule out no deal, there will be a vote on March the 14th for a short extension of Article 50. Laura Kinsberg says March 12th, 14th will be some of the most important days of the whole process and history fans, the eyes of March falls on March 15th. So someone will die. <laughs> Ian, you've been expecting this for a while. There's been enormous pressure on May to accept this, uh, including from cabinet members Greg Clark, Amber Rudd and David Gauck. Gork? Mm. Latter. Well, I always say the latter, but then I mispronounce all sorts of shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with Gork. Um, how much of a, of, of a sort of game changer is it? I think it is a game changer, but not necessarily the way that it looks. I mean, it looks, this whole week has looked like Remainers have the wind in their sails, like the independence group sort of coming out has forced both parties to go into another direction. Now, when you just take a step back from it, I think things are not looking that great. And I was quite, I was quite down about what happened yesterday, mostly because I don't see MPs recognising the trap, the danger that's in front of them. Um, she wants to extend, she says, a short extension. We're expecting that to be two months, maybe three months, which was the kind of thing that was being floated by the Labour leadership when they were talking of supporting the Cooper Amendment that was going to basically do the same thing. Now, as May confirmed yesterday in the Commons, that all works fine as long as you're out on July the 1st. On July 2nd, the new European Parliament takes its seats. Now, if we have not taken part in European parliamentary elections before that point, we are going to have to leave. There are some people that say maybe there's some sort of solution, but very, very few. The overwhelming majority of, of the, the opinions of what is being said in Europe is that we would have to leave unless we've been part of those elections. Because there is a chance, a risk, not 100%, different lawyers have different views on it, that the parliament would be illegally constituted. And if it was illegally constituted, any decision that it made, including the selection of the commissioners would therefore be challengeable in the European Court of Justice and they're not willing to take that risk because it would be like almost Brexit contaminating the whole European system, bringing everything into uncertainty. Then it's not enough then to just say that we have to take part in those elections in late May. We really need to have passed the legislation domestically to take part, I would say basically by May 1st, basically late April. 
if we do not, once we get past that point of passing the legislation and up until July, we're in the dead zone. Like There is no more extension that is going to be available to us. And my strong suspicion is that May's plan is to do this. You extend a little bit further till July, whatever, at the very latest, July 1st, at the very latest. And then you do exactly the same fucking shit that she has been doing for this entire period, which is to say, here is my deal and there is no deal. Which one of these do you prefer? Except that this time, any option available to critics of Brexit, to moderates, to remainers, to soft Brexiters, whatever, would no longer be present. Now, that seems to me to be the trap. And I didn't see any MP raise any questions about what was going on with the elections yesterday and that really, really troubles me. And do you think that this was a move that she was that she was planning already? Would it, when we're going to get to the effect of uh, defections from Labour to TIG, um, do you think that Subri Allen and Wollaston leaving had, had anything to do with it? Was exerted any pressure? Yeah, well, and also the, the people in Cabinet, the oh, yeah. Cabinet like yeah, Amber yeah. Rudd sort of threatening yeah. they're going to vote for the Cooper Amendment. But ultimately, she knew she was going to have to do this at some point anyway. The piece of legislation that she wants to do, the, the basically the piece that puts the deal into domestic legislation to pass on our books, is a fucking massive piece of legislation, country-defining piece of legislation. You're not just going to suddenly <coughs> shove it through. You've got hundreds of statutory instruments that you'd need online by the time we do this. They haven't even published the one on fucking tariffs yet. Tariff now is just like an after... Oh, who cares about tariffs, right? Well, how does that matter? Maybe we can just shuttle that through the comments. I know somebody who cares hours. about tariffs. <laughs> <laughs> right here. Fortunately, he's not an MP and cannot scrutinise statutory instruments. So all of that is, is a major issue. So she was almost... Even if she got her deal, she was going to have to extend. If they are decided to go for no deal, I think they would have extended as well, because you can't get rid of the things that are going to hit you, but you can use those two, three months at least to hire some more customs officials, at least to try and put something in place in terms of the clearance systems, all of that that you would need to have going. So everyone knew at some point we would extend, and we've been, you know, most people in, in sort of the common, the sort of Brexit commentariat bubble have pretty much gone, this is a technical certainty. The only question is when it becomes a political reality that someone feels they can say it. Now it's been said, but I have to say, you know, it's so funny that after this whole period of thinking we're going to have to extend at some point, the fact that when the Prime Minister comes to the Commons and says we probably are going to have to extend, which is ultimately what she said, it was kind of ironic that it was actually a really depressing spectacle because it was mm. quite clearly part of a plan that people didn't seem to see the danger in front of them. Ingrid, how do you think this affects... Um <laughs> Maze, Ingrid, you like the it. thumbs up okay. side, yeah. full of joy. Oh, what's yeah, going on? yeah. Um, how does this affect sort of May's, May's standing in in the eyes of the electorate? Does she look like at, at least she seems to be dangers, uh, you know, notwithstanding, um, seems to be acknowledging reality mm. for a brief, for a brief moment? Yeah, I don't know that the, in the eyes of the electorate. <laughs> I wish you are the electorate. By I am the electorate, and I and I wish that I mean we all are, apart from you, Paul. Um, <laughs> but I, I I wish that in I, I wish that people did care, and I wish that people knew what was going on. But you know, when you see polls where people think we've already left, mm. I don't think people will go oh three months extension. That's a massive big deal. I don't think that's how people's brains work. Um, and it isn't a bit as as Ian has just um, pointed out. It's not a big deal really, mm. substantively. Um, as in, it just it kicks the can further down the road. But but you know, Ian, it's that thing, isn't it? Of well, how much longer do we? I know I know what you're saying about the European elections, but then do we extend for six months or a year? At some point, we have to resolve it. So, um, what to do? What to do? I mean, the, the, I guess my hope would be that that. Well, two things could happen, right? Either you have the amendment to Homes. Right now, there's an amendment by Spellman, which has some chance, by the time that you'll be listening to this, you'll know whether it's passed or not, which says, well, let's have some kind of indicative votes in the Commons mm -hmm. to try and figure out what the fuck it might be that we're going to do. Or you get something from the European side. And this, at the moment, I have to say, is my major hope, which is a depressing thing, is for them to go, look, no, we're not doing the fucking three-month thing because we're not going to keep on just... Unless you've got an idea, that doesn't solve anything. Yeah. So we will give you until the end of the year, or we'll give you 12 months, or some people are even talking about 21 months, and you will take part in those elections, and we will restart well, this process and actually have a different kind of conversation. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a post, I think Guy Verhofstadt just put on his Facebook page, that he is not keen for a 21-month mm. extension, because he's like, mm. we've, we've had enough of this shit. Mm. Like, the idea of them, for them, of dealing with this for another 21 oh. months, even if the will was here to do that, I don't know that the will... But Hofstadt ultimately is just the... He's a sort of loudmouth parliament guy. Whereas, I mean, when you yeah. look at sort of tasks, who really matters. Like, yeah. he's much more sympathetic to those sort of ideas. But definitely, sure. they're totally split on that themselves. Like, loads of them don't like the idea of it going on that Yeah, long. I mean, I certainly don't. 
<laughs> so, and that's the most <laughs> important thing. <laughs> that's the most important thing. England's had enough. <laughs> um, Paul, I know, I know they talk of nothing else in the fjords of Norway. Um, but just this whole process since June 2016, from, a, from an outsider's point of view, um, what effect has it had on your impression of Britain's uh, ability to govern itself <laughs> make, make, well, make decisions you, be grown ups I tell you we've learned so much about Great Britain United Kingdom um, your political structure parties the House of Commons how it works it's been it is a fantastic entertainment because it doesn't really affect us emotionally. So we only get the pleasure part. So, you know, um, it's been heydays for social media and political nerds like me. But I can imagine that it must be a difficult feeling, different feeling for you guys. God, it's like you've invited over all your coolest friends when your uncle shits himself. Yeah. It? So suddenly they're watching. Well, we had a like, small debate in the sense that what are we going to do if they want to join us? Oh my God! <laughs> We're gonna come into our little club, you know, our little exclusive club. But we are the big elephant in the room. Because hey, yeah, can you imagine just like you got you got this little club, and then you watch three years of somebody just like yep. blundering about, <laughs> trousers falling yeah. down, throwing up, yeah. and then at the end of three years, like banging on the door, going hello, exactly, <laughs> trying to chat you up. Exactly. <laughs> and this uh, schizophrenia in the government, where they've said, well, we cannot say no. I mean, we can't. We, we can't. I mean, they're our best friends. I mean. Uh, our royal house came from the British. I mean, you defended us during the war. You give us the Christmas tree. You give, we give you a Christmas tree. I mean, you are our most important ally in Europe, in the, if not in the world. So how could we? Nevertheless, we don't want you. <laughs> <laughs> You're too big. As long, I mean, don't, don't take the Christmas tree back. Okay. At least leave us yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, no, no. That will, that's uh, permanent. So we're going to try and do a little bit of a kind of in dunt flow chart here of all the of, of all the possibilities um amazing in dunt flow chart it's you basically exploring the multiverse oh, okay, right. um because we're going to start with so may's deal uh how likely is it is it is there any chance that it won't fall on March the 12th? Are there enough people coming around to it? There's a chance. So uh, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg was sounding... It was basically you turning fucking hard on everything he said for the last few months, but apparently with nobody noticing it, when he suddenly said, oh, maybe you don't need to break up in the withdrawal agreement. Uh, maybe we can just do it by some kind of legal bridge, the codicile, uh, which would be in the future relationship document. That's a major change from him, a massive change. You don't see the DUP saying that. The DUP, uh, Nigel Dodds, when he stands up, at least at the moment, is still saying you need to make changes in the withdrawal agreement rather than in the future relationship text. There is a chance, let's say 15%, of May's deal passing in some way. I suspect that actually what she did yesterday of raising the prospect of extension means that it's less likely to pass because I think lots of the ERG types would just think, fuck it, we can afford to vote mm. against it now. There's a little bit more time to prepare for no deal. We know that there's this big hard brick wall on the other side of that thing in three months' time. So, I mean, I, I, I would not expect it to pass. And if I was a gambling man, I would vote strongly against it passing. But there is a glimmer of a chance. Uh, Claire, the Brexiters keep bringing up the idea of an amended backstop. Um, do you think, I mean, can it can it be amended? What what can be what can be done with it? What are yeah, the alternative arrangements? It, it can't. I mean, obviously, it was in terms of making it UK wide, albeit that's better for Ireland, North and South. Um, you, you, you can't. I mean, I'm very clear. A barrier east-west isn't ideal. We don't want any barriers to, to trade and movement between uh, Northern Ireland and, and, and Britain. But it's disingenuous to say, as the DUP do, that it's intolerable down the Irish Sea, but it's perfectly manageable <laughs> across the island, which is effectively what the... So, no, there aren't. I mean, alternative arrangements um, is is bunkum. We know that you know they've got nothing or else they would be prepared to go forward with alternative arrangements and they would have produced them. But, I mean, it, 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 is, it is literally impossible to do. You can't track a punnet of strawberries, you know, crossing any one of dozens of points. Um, it does literally bisect schools and churches and homes, you know, where the front of your house is in in the north and, and in the south. So there's no way of doing it um, with technology. But it, it is important to say it's 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 not about managing the line A to B. The, the, the tragic part about it is all of the stuff that it shoved back into politics. The Good Friday Agreement was about not having to talk about the border and sovereignty and whether you're British or Irish. And this just means now we're talking about literally nothing else, mm. morning, noon and night on the radio and that's what's 
dramatically upset Northern Ireland. Mm. Have, have you not been reassured by Julia Hartley Brewer's skiing holiday? Well, she gets in it. Which she seems to be between France and Switzerland. <laughs> no bother. Absolutely. We're going to ski. You not just ski? Ski yeah. from Newry to Dundalk, as anybody <laughs> will tell you the coolie. Uh, a rucksack full of strawberries. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. With all your family on your back. Yeah. So it, it, it's not possible, and they know what it is, and they show things like the, you know, the toll booth, uh, which is nothing to do uh, with the border and photographs of this. But, you know, it's, 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 it's simply not possible, even if it were just crossing the line and literally you know, 30, 40,000 people uh, cross the border every single day for their work. A lot of us live a north-south existence. But for people in those border communities mm. who, who, who maybe, you know, go there to get your pint of milk and over there for your doctor's appointment, it's, it's, it's not possible in any way, shape or form. Back to the don't flow chart. If the May deal falls, uh, and then there's the no deal vote on March the 13th. Yeah, next day. Yeah. Um, should definitely be defeated. Right. Because, no, I mean, the, 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 that's definitely... I mean, there's, yeah, really, I mean like, there's very few things that are more... I mean, how many people would even vote for... I would say probably, you'd probably have about 70 MPs. Basically, you'd have the ERG lot. You know, on a good day, you'd have 70 of them, 50 to 70 people. They're a bunch of fucking millennialist lunatics, and they'll fucking do it. So, But it doesn't matter. I mean, they, that would definitely fail. Um... When you say fail, just to clarify, sorry. So that means because uh, the, that... the proposition would be, shall we leave with no deal? Yes. And so it'll fail, and we right. will not be leaving with no deal. <laughs> yes, thank you. And then the next day, uh, so March fourteenth, mm. you then have, do you want to extend? The, what's odd to me is today, uh, sort of Cooper Bowles put forward their new amendment, which was mm. basically mimicking, in a frankly, sort of subtweety sort of way. <laughs> it was just this kind of fuck, fuck you. Basically, just quoting what May had said when she took on their amendment and putting it back to her is basically an attempt to humiliate her. I think of just going, oh, "Well, why would you not whip your MPs to 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 pass this, given that it's your policy?" But there does seem to me to be one distinction, which was that the mechanism for deciding the length of the extension under Cooper Bowles was up to MPs. Under the May deal, it's up to the government. Now, I think. In terms of what it would be, there's probably very little difference. I think MPs only have the appetite for about three months anyway. But that still is a major difference to me, that the government decides rather than MPs deciding how long the length would be. But regardless, they'll put that down. I think MPs will vote for that, probably. There is the nightmare scenario, by the way. This is that MPs don't vote for either of these fucking things. They're like, don't like no deal, don't vote, and off they go. But yeah. Um, well, I mean, what, what would happen in that scenario if they literally rejected every option? I think it would be revoke or no deal. But they've I mean, just the rejected no deal. Yeah, but, you, but it doesn't matter because ultimately they're just voting on a motion, whereas no deal happens by, you know, we should have Danning, David Allen Green should drop yes. down from the sky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> automatic <laughs> operation of the law. And that, and that would be how that would operate. Or the government could just revoke. I mean, it seems probably you would need some kind of parliamentary support according to the Gina Miller case, but we know that the government can just revoke if it wants to. So one of those two things would happen. Probably I would suggest it would probably be no deal. Would they be able to? Would, would May be able to take the deal back again? Going well now that we've not now we know we're definitely not having an extension. Vote again, otherwise it is no deal. Then people would have to presume. Yeah, she she might well give it a go. Might, might but but ultimately, I do expect I do expect MPs to vote for a short extension yeah. of Article Three. I think yeah. that that's what that's what will happen. I think the problem was it, it came at the same time as Labour's move, and it it's hard to keep the hope battened down. But you've done a really mm. good job. Thank of, you, of thank you. I'm here to bring despair all. wherever it's possible. It's a, yeah. <laughs> Are there any more amendments we should be aware of? There is the Costa Amendment, which has caused a spasm of fucking chaos in the government of, you know, Costa himself having to resign so he could bring forward an amendment which the government is now supporting but wasn't supporting Who's yesterday. Costa? Can we explain who Costa is? He's a Tory MP. Um, Italian father, but, you know, but basically has kept his, his sort of... isn't particularly associated with Remain or Brexit in that sort of way. Um, this amendment would basically say to the government, you've got to take out the citizens' rights bits. We want you to try and negotiate something separate with the EU there in the event of no deal or to at least just carve this part out and work on it so we can guarantee it at home and try and guarantee it for Brits in Europe. Now, we broke this actually last week. Everyone's talking about it now. We broke it on the podcast last week. It looks like that's going to pass. You may have noticed uh, Sajid Javid, the Home Secretary, was in front of a Commons Select Committee, still thinking that the government supported it when he was informed that the government no longer supported it. And when he asked, well, who says that? And they were like, the Prime Minister. And there's a beautiful moment <laughs> where for one second you can see his eyes just start to blow out of his face. And he's like, oh, well, well. and he's, uh, he's furiously backtracking. The government is now supporting it again. So it looks like it's going to pass. That is a good, solid amendment on a moral level, on a strategic level, on a political level. And there's a one little ray of sunshine that we can introduce to the discussion. Well, Jeremy Corbyn pulled his own reverse ferret on Monday when it was announced that Labour would back a people's vote if it failed to get its version of Brexit passed this week. Tom Watson and Keir Starmer seem to have finally got Corbyn over the line, aided by the spectre of more defections to TIG. Uh, within hours, the question arose of whether a Labour people's vote would be a straight choice between May and Remain. Uh, 
or a three-way vote, or if Remain would even be on the ballot, a mysterious senior Labour source <laughs> said a choice between May's deal and Remain would not be acceptable. Ian, do you have any ideas who this person might be? Fuck knows. And well, who could imagine? And uh, whether his father has ever led the BBC. <laughs> we, we have a bit of a... There's a bit of an issue with stuff at the moment, because... Well, it's not at the moment. I mean, the trouble is lobby rules, isn't it? Lobby rules basically say you can't name the spokesman. And that worked when parties were coherent units. But now that they're these warring tribes, when he comes out to say that, he is not representing the Labour view. He is representing a, a, a bit within Labour. So it's it sort of, to, to give the reader any clear indication of what is going on, you should name him. But you cannot name him by lobby rules. And that is a bit of an issue. It's about the system based in a way that isn't working. And, and I would do the same thing, by the way. I mean, I'm in, I'm in the lobby, so if, if, I, if the information was given to me in that context, mm. I wouldn't name him either. The journalists are not at fault. The, the rules are starting to feel quite old. So Emily Thornbury and Tom Watson uh, immediately slapped down Spokesman X. <laughs> Alex Sobel said whoever Spokesman X was <laughs> should be sacked. Ben Bradshaw wading in. Has Spokesman X over, <laughs> overplayed his hand at last? Has, has the has the sort of the power shifted? Because I think you made the point. I mean, you've, you've made the point often. I think a lot of people still don't get this. Is that when you're trying to understand Labour's position, you have to understand the factions within Labour, and that Labour's position is whoever sort of seems to have the upper hand at that point. Yes, and so they're slipping back. Um, you can see that Starmer with weird ally McDonnell and lots of the people with their backs who have stuck by Corbyn while maintaining their anti-Brexit stance. So people like David Lammy or Clive Lewis, people that have, that have done the opposite of the independent group, guys. I mean, mm. the, the, the victory is part of that. It's, it's sort of like, it's the less, let's cover the tent in piss theory. You know what I mean? Like you piss from inside, you piss from outside, and then just generally by the end of it, you might shake out in a better political position. Um, on that basis, they've managed to shift it. However, look at their rear guard defence. Because their rear guard defence, they tried, they had an opening salvo with that. Oh, it doesn't need to be Remain versus May's deal. That fell apart. They didn't manage to sustain it. Now it seems to be, well, it's a vote on May's deal if it passes, which makes it almost completely redundant. Because by the time the May's deal passes, no one gives a fuck about having another referendum. It's only as an escape valve from the fact that there is no, there's no exit point to get to. So that's where they are now. However, when people despair about this stuff, I think they've got the wrong idea. It's about shifting them in incremental units to a time frame. We're not great on the time frame, but they are shifting. And this was still a positive development to my mind. Ingrid, it was quite, if you are, I'm not sure if you're on Twitter at the time when this news broke mm. but it, it was quite a thrill ride um, how many emotions did you go through See, from like yay to oh I, I wasn't on Twitter when the one it broke was it my birthday I think it was my birthday um, it was like a little gift to me um, <laughs> so I wasn't on Twitter and that was a lesson because that taught me you don't have to be along for every single element of the thrill ride because it's exhausting uh, yeah. just, come, just come to it 24 hours later when it's all settled down a bit and then you can make a you know uh, an informed decision um, but I I was to be honest I've decided to be more positive that's my new mantra so yay um, and, and, and I think that everyone that's been doing the work behind the scenes you know including Naomi and people who have been sort of pushing Labour towards this position for so long great I was, but also I couldn't help. I, I'm just it was slightly underwhelmed because it kind of feel, it feels like they've been sort of skirting around it for ages. It's always been on the table. Um, so it, again, and as Ian said, it's not saying we're tabling this. It, it's saying if if Maisel passes, we're gonna add. We're gonna we want a referendum, which, as Ian also says, is is highly it's sort of unlikely. Um, but actually, actually though, if if they do get that through. And there is, and we and, and the government agrees to a second referendum if May deals passes. That surely will help the deal pass, will it not? Because then, if people can then go, actually, now we'll agree to it, but we're putting it back to the people. So that feels like quite a sensible yeah. thing to Creating do. Creating the conditions where, when things get more hectic later on, yeah. there is a possible avenue mm. of making things work. It is it, it is more positive than some people are yeah. suggesting. What do you make of the argument? Ingrid, that uh, the Lisa Nandy argument that not having no deal on the ballot paper would be democratically illegitimate and that you should, if people want to shoot themselves in the face, no, you should give not. them that opportunity. Absolutely not. I cannot stress enough how angry I would be. Well, not that. And I imagine they care a lot, the government, how angry Ingrid Oliver is. Um, is that you cannot have no deal on the, on the, on, you cannot have on the ballot. Because if you're saying I would be prepared, we would be the government. If the government would be prepared to take us out of 
the EU on no deal to do that to our country then we've lost our fucking minds <laughs> and so I don't care if it's democratic you, you can't you can't put something on a ballot that you wouldn't be prepared to deliver you might as well just put on it and burn it all down deliver no deal yeah. then I don't know who we are anymore I really don't so no um, basically I think the problem is we, we've already lost our minds you know it's already yeah. it's, it's, it's already out there I agree with you I think it's 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 disastrous but it's going to be very difficult the betrayal narrative is already being seeded and whatever we get you know the Brexiters will, will ride that for the next uh, number of years so it's, it's if, if it's seen as, as what did Farage say he'd just go on holiday possibly skiing mm. um, uh, I don't know if we can get away without a very leavy punch yourself in the face option for well, people who want to take it. Like you said, uh, Northern Ireland is is, is very Remainy. Um, does that extend to enthusiasm for uh, a people's vote? It, it's fair to say. I mean, it was fifty six percent Remain. It should have been a lot Remainier, given that mm. we are mm. overwhelmingly a net beneficiary in terms of you know uh, all, all sorts of structural and peace funds, as well as the fact that we're screwed without it um, trade wise. Yeah, I think I think there's there's good support for for a people's vote among almost all the parties except the DUP and I think even some of them realise it's what gets them off the hook because if there is a bad Brexit it the, the carnival of reaction that follows will lead to a border poll nor, enormous division very very possibly uh, Irish unity uh, uh, but um, certainly upheaval and, and damage and, and chaos including for the DUP so I, I, I think so I think um, we had the same um, very weak limited campaigning and debate as you had here where we all shouted statistics at each other rather than actually trying mm. to sell the merits of the idea. But um, yeah, I think I think almost all parties except the DUP have expressed support for it uh, in some strength or another. Um, Paul, Labour's sort of Brexit vacillations have been driving us nuts for months. What what do you make of the? I mean, there, there are people who argue, you know, that this was all just they've just been playing this long game and this was always where it was leading. Um, what do you what do you make of the way that? that Corbyn and his his crew have led have played this well you know I think that <clears throat> his battle is really the the battle of Britain and that you have because his party is as divided as the rest of the population I assume so um, um, I, I think it's about avoidance of pain so what is the least uh, painful uh, solution and um, um you know his his last thing, if uh, that he wants a new a new referendum, that's very painful, and he knows that that's not going to be, go through. So then, a vassal state, a Norway plus, suddenly becomes a much more valuable option. Vassal, like backstop, vassal. is a word that we've been we've been hearing a lot more of yeah. recently. Um, Ian, this has enraged uh, Labour MPs in in leave seats. John Mann told Corbyn, "The prize will stop you being prime minister because that's literally the only obstacle." <laughs> um, can, could Labour get, the argument that people are saying is like okay everyone's waiting for kind of Corbyn to support this idea but even if he did you'd have people like John Mann and Caroline Flint and Gloria De Piera and so on mm. um, who would block it um, so do you think that there would be the votes no there definitely isn't the votes um, it's a necessary but insufficient condition but the, just because there isn't the votes so people are so weirdly split half the people pretend if only Jeremy Corbyn pressed the switch and authorised people's vote it would automatically happen and everything would be fine mm. the other half act like just because the votes aren't there right now it's impossible that it will ever take place and you just think both of those seem to be quite simplistic really there are there, we don't have the votes right now so I would say between let's say 50 to 70 Labour MPs are going to vote against so let's let's say 50 okay 50 seems about right to me I do yeah mm-hmm. I do think it, you'd have that many that would vote against the whip on it when you look at for instance how they haven't voted for really quite moderate propositions like let's extend article 50 a bit you know on that basis I think that they would vote against um, then you've got you've got to get those votes from the Tory benches now at the moment they're not there there's probably only about nine to twelve Tory MPs who would vote this way however as things get tenser and tenser and tenser that seems more possible you need to just demonstrate proof of concept that you only need another 50 votes to get it that there is a big amount of common support given how little support there is for other options and then as things get tighter there's a chance for it to happen but right now the numbers are not there 
Um, and a big question that was that was coming up uh, when this was announced was how much of it was related to TIG. I've heard Corbynites insisting to me this is just the procedure laid out at conference. There's nothing whatsoever to do with no, Labour. Losing eight MPs to a new group whose signature policy is a people's vote. It's just a quinky dink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it just a quinky dink? No, that's, that's so fucking... T- and, you know, that, that constant thing of you can just see them gearing up with the tribal ideal and going, well, this is, you know, nothing has changed. This is always where you just think, like, honestly, if, if you're fooling yourself, then, you know, take yourself off for some kind of medical checkup. But don't try and pretend that I need to go through the same shit myself. It is perfectly obvious that when it comes to what's going on in the Tory party, when it comes to what's going on in Labour, this is about the independent group. Now, them doing this has, you know, arguably done very little for their own prospects. We don't know how things will shake out the moment they look fairly lonely as things start to shift another way. However... I would say in terms of concrete political effects in a very short time period, it's been about 10 days so far since they first did something, they're one of the most efficient political entities that this country's ever known. So full credit to them. It's such a strange thing though, isn't it? Because I'm, I think Kevin Maguire and some other people, from Kevin Maguire from The Mirror, um, was going, oh, this is, you know, this is bad news uh, for TIG because this was their kind of big policy and, and, and now it's been taken away. But surely the reason that they left their parties was because they cared so much about this. And so the fact that it seems to be getting closer like you said by no means over the line i mean it it doesn't seem like a kind of an abject failure and it doesn't seem like they must have known that this policy would only succeed if it was supported so right, it doesn't, it doesn't not, seem as if they hadn't thought this through. And let's not pretend that it's just about this either. I mean, right now, right. you know, as we speak, Chris Williamson's out there saying the most horrific, venomous, toxic shit I could ever imagine, and still got the fucking whip. Mm-hmm. You know, this is about something much more poisonous. And for those guys, you could take Brexit away as a whole, and they would still, I think, be in the position that they're in right now. Can, can I ask? Sorry, in terms of the, the, so in terms of TIG, they've said that they're going to they're going to schedule an amendment about a second referendum, haven't they? Did they not have they not come out and said that? They, yeah, they have, but you'd imagine that wouldn't get support. Would I think that, Labour will whip against yeah. it, probably. So, that's, so that's it won't do the proof, proof of concept thing that we need. Right. Yeah, They're going to want it to come from inside of Labour. So the Carl yeah. Amendment, which is from a Labour MP, which was different. It was to say that we would support the deal if you hold another referendum. I think the leadership's going to want to rejig that to it. If the deal passes, we'll give another one. They're going to basically try to, to take away its force. I don't think they'll be taking something from, from the TIGs. Yeah. You've also, of course, there is this big debate within the people's vote organisation and the MPs that support them about do you start putting forward votes that start to show a certain level of support and stay in the conversation mm-hmm. or do you try to hold back so that you'll never seem to be to be losing it mm-hmm. I, I always was instinctively with the former on that I have to say I do understand the organisation's point of view when you look at the way that the Cooper Naomi raised this on the show once when you look at the way the Cooper amendment was defeated and then the next day even though it was by like 20 votes or something the next day everyone's like well that's just fucking dead there's no way that'll ever come back let's talk more about Theresa May's reform deal which was only defeated by 200 you know whatever so you think that it's clear that because the guns are out in that way there is some sensible strategy there but that is a swirling debate even now still worth celebrating with a moderately sized nando's (laughs) (laughs) we promised you some irish border explanation and by god we've got it claire hannah is the mla for south belfast um, Claire, we, we haven't, we have, we've talked about the border, we've talked about the backstop, but perhaps not in enough detail. Um, it seems simultaneously very simple and maddeningly complex because you can't have Brexit without a hardish border and you can't have a hard border and keep the Good Friday agreement. Um, and you were saying earlier that, that that kind of is how it how it stands. There isn't some sort of magic solution. So watching people discuss magic solutions month after month, mm-hmm. does it feel like you did you just feel like sort of Groundhog Day that you're just not you're not getting any closer because this it is still that is just the hard fact yeah absolutely and you've spoken about it in the programme before that there's no um, you know facts don't exist you have to build up each argument and, and I certainly was making exactly these points well in advance of the referendum that it's you know if, if either part is outside of the single market and the customs union the line has to be drawn somewhere and all of the other um, impacts so yes it, it feels like you're you're explaining the same thing and it hasn't been accepted and people are proposing alternative arrangements that aren't aren't unicorns. They're horses in unicorn costumes and everything. They don't. They're not even the decency of uh, of, of a unicorn. But, uh, but yep, it 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 feels like that penny hasn't dropped. But it, as I say, it's the it's the wider non-trade impacts that that are probably more discombobulating. I mean, as you know, we don't have an assembly. There's no prospect. Even those of us who think all of the other problems are solvable yesterday, there's no prospect whatsoever of of Stormont being re-established until Brexit is discharged in, in whatever way it has to be uh, mm. hopefully solved. But Because I think it's quite hard for, for people who don't live there to understand what it means that there is no assembly. Well, I mean, 
mean, the, the sort of no good. But like, what 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 effect does that have? Yeah, I mean, we've got it. I mean, obviously, like you know, things still run, but you're in kind of cut and paste from month to month. There's no innovation. A lot of uh, and a lot of uh, decisions. Whether it's will that school get its new build or whatever, they all rack up and rack up. Obviously, everybody blames everything on it. The things that you want to do, well, I can't because there's no government and mm. and um, unfortunately, we have neatly. Uh, cut out the blame. Um, half of the people will be blame the DUP for it, half of the people will blame um, Sinn Féin for it when they're both equally intransigent and ridiculous. But um, it's 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 this perception that the place is ungovernable, but ultimately somebody is running it. It's it's the civil service. It's just that there's no uh, accountability and no political oversight or what's worse in terms of the direct rule that we're kind of having from London it has uh, no balance it's only really the DUP who are able to to look in over the Secretary of State's mm. shoulder and, and kind of nudge her in certain directions and that's fundamentally incompatible with the Good Friday Agreement which should be about you know all sections of the community being represented in governance I know that sounds really dry but but it's just it's it's yeah, basically we, were, we had 20 years of, of pretty poor governance post Good Friday Agreement but the show was largely on the road and this has just taken it completely off the rails. Um, and when people do, you know, worry about the return of violence, the ERG response uh, is the brilliant, well, it, it won't happen. Um, and obviously you don't want to go too far in the direction of kind of um, of sort of melodrama and uh, project fear phrases sure. popped into my head. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to kind of like, I think, it's, I think it's dirty in the same way that people talking about violence on the streets, if, you know, right. if there was yep. another referendum yep, is, is dirty. Um, what, how do you think that, it, it, that those kind of, you know, those kind of emotions and tensions would manifest themselves? So there will. It's almost inevitable if there was any infrastructure on the border whatsoever. I mean, if if you ever drive when you come past the signs that say "Welcome to Northern Ireland," there are bullet holes in them. Or if you see uh, on the other side of things, if you see signs with you know Irish language, sometimes they're they're painted out. We already can't even accept each other's signs a, a little bit in Northern Ireland. So there would inevitably be, um, and there are enough nutters who would take a shot at whatever infrastructure is there. Then you have to have security. Then ultimately you have to have troops. So that's how the violence uh, mm. o- o- unravels. I don't believe there's any uh, prospect of going back to the troubles per se, but it is it is the tension that's created among very ordinary people. And people like me who, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm Irish. I'm, I'm, I'm an Irish national, so I aspire to Irish unity. But if the one thing you've taught is constitutional change doesn't solve all your problems. So people like me who were, per, you know, who were content to focus on making Northern Ireland work, on the economy, on reconciliation, Brexit kind of rips that comfort blanket away. You could you could live with being in the UK when it is, you know, there's there's no barriers anywhere and it's broadly social democratic. And and Brexit taking that out has just massively changed people's perception. So people from kind of the tradition that I represent of sort of moderate, non-violent nationalists who were prepared to give it time now say, what can we do to take Jacob Reeves and Maud's hands off our lives? Mm. And and that's that's not limited to people of an Irish or nationalist uh, background. That that's that's people from all shades of the community, and that just inevitably creates uncertainty and tension. And how do you think things would have been different if May hadn't uh, gambled and lost the 2017 election and ended up relying so much on the DUP? Because the still the fundamental problem you were talking about would still be there. But how much of a difference has that relies on the it, DUP it, it, made? It's clearly made a huge difference because, of course, it isn't just getting the deal through. It's it's all the other enabling legislation. So she has to keep them on board. And I don't believe for an instance, an instant that a lot of the ERG really care about the border or what goes on on the island of Ireland. And if you look at some of the ERG papers um, before the backstop was nailed down, it did talk about um, some checks in the Irish Sea. They're not bothered about that. And I, I believe many of them use it as a as a as a convenience and the DUP are a very visible representation of that so it clearly given them given the DUP the whip hand uh, and and I suppose that undermined the Good Friday Agreement as well because in all of the other issues bubbling around language rights and marriage equality and some of the other issues around corruption in Northern Ireland, an independent mediator or the British government would have been able to kind of slap the DUP about a bit and and get them on the right track and they're completely unwilling to do that in this context. So it it, it really changed the dynamic and the atmosphere, yeah. And finally, one thing we talk about uh, a lot is about how Britain sees itself and, and asking these more fundamental questions about kind of the nature of the union and perhaps the fragility of the union. Um, do you think that one kind of 
uh, very thin silver lining from this would be the fact that people in the rest of the UK do actually have actually had to think about Northern Ireland and actually perhaps, you know, consider issues that they just haven't thought about. Well, it's a very Northern Irish thing to kind of assume that everybody's obsessive and knows the, all the integrity <laughs> of our quarrel and every um, twist and turn of it. Well, actually, I, I think the, the problem is a lot of the polling will show that Brexiters would be perfectly happy to have that. Uh, you know, the average Brexit uh, voter would be quite happy probably to cut off Northern Ireland. And if you think the EU costs you a lot of money, wait to hear our bill uh, at the end. <laughs> we clearly are a lot more expensive for the average British taxpayer. So, so yes, I think I think it has made people um, engage with 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 the detail of the difference but you still have you know Pretty Patel saying oh we'll starve them out with a no deal and, and things like that so it's it's betraying kind of what a lot of particularly conservatives have really thought about us <laughs> all this time mm. it's it's getting it out there so it doesn't give me any pleasure that suddenly people you know have to understand it because a lot of people in Northern Ireland don't understand it um, <laughs> uh, I, I, and I certainly um, as I say somebody who, who, who believes that Irish unity is a lot more sensible a, proje- a project and a prospect but doesn't want to leave the ordinary Joe trapped in Brexit Britain over here. Um, it doesn't, um, you know, I, I think it probably makes more British people um, want Irish unity than not. And, and again, that's a massive own goal by the DUP. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Claire. Um, Ireland to Norway. If you're still saying Norway plus, wash your mouth out because everyone's now calling it. All the kids on the street, skateboarding, listening to hip hop and grime. <laughs> are calling it Common Market 2.0 now. Because 2.0 means fresh and modern and computers. Yeah. <laughs> Upgr- upgradable. <laughs> upgradable. Keep saying, if, it's, if there's a Norway Plus, why doesn't Norway want it? You know, if it's so much yeah. better than Norway. Absolutely. Uh, once a fringe idea, the notion of Britain replicating Norway's deal, but better, for the most painless Brexit possible, has moved more mainstream. It entails EEA membership via EFTA, membership of the single market, and a customs union, yeah. meaning no border with Ireland, but no membership of the common agricultural or fisheries policies, nor the European Court of Justice. It's backed by the likes of Stephen Kinnock, Nick Bowles, Nicky Morgan, Nicholas Soames, a lot of Nicks, and Oliver Letwin. And it wouldn't require amending the withdrawal bill, only the political declaration. On the downside, Farage, Boris Johnson, Owen Patterson and Dan Hanan have all spoken up for it. So it can't be that good. (laughs) (laughs) the point I've got to say, Daniel Hanan, I think, is more of a Swiss man. Swiss man? He's more of a Swiss model kind of guy than the Norway thing. He's a huge in, in Brexit geek circles. You can imagine the battles those guys I have. can't believe I mixed those two. <laughs> That's sorry. an even sorry, worse guys. deal. It is a worse deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Paul Fisfold, our special guest, the title of your book, Towards Europe, the story of a reluctant Norway. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a spoiler. Um, <laughs> Norway rejected EU membership in 1994, but was already a member of the EEA. Um, your own prime minister was, was sort of suspicious of, uh, you know, was sort of advising Britain... Wouldn't, couldn't work out why Britain would like to go for mm. Norway Plus stroke common market 2.0 deal. Um, what do you think would be in it for Britain? Hmm. Well, first you said it yourself, the avoidance of pain, that it actually allows you to put this whole debate aside. Because for whether whether the people in the streets of London get their legislation from the city council, from Westminster or from Brussels, they don't really care as long as it works. Uh, those who cares are those who are involved in politics. And that's why it's a frustrating agreement in Norway because uh, the people are very, you know, 75% of the Norwegian population uh, is in favor of this agreement. And a similar amount is opposed to membership. And that's <laughs> that's a contradiction in terms because we are members of the single market. Mm. It's just that we don't have any representation. We have regulation mm-hmm. without representation. But it allows us, gives us predictability. So it would give... Um, the UK society, business, um, scientists, students, whatever, the predictability that they would need to go on with their daily life. But we would be a huge, I mean, a painful democratic deficit that you've had to um, to cope with. And what difference would it make to to Norway? We're we talking about sort of relative sort of clubs. But if I mean, if this was a kind of similar deal, but not the same, it's not like we'd be wedded to Norway? No, not at all. I mean, What um, difference would it make to Norway? Uh, so, so that's the interesting part. The two things <laughs> that are interesting. First of all, the EEA agreement never really took shape. We say, um, we'll say it's a flexible agreement 
but it's an elastic agreement in the sense that we just take on and on more and more legislation. Um, so we could, with Britain on our side, actually make those arrangements that were put in place because it's not made for small zero countries like Liechtenstein, Iceland and Norway. It was made for Sweden, Finland, Austria, Switzerland, etc. So there are there, there is a structure there um, and and those could be reinvigorated. And I am one of those who claim that we should welcome Britain with open arms. I mean, by all means, poor you. I mean, I wouldn't want you to. It's a catastrophe. <laughs> but, you know, if that's the only thing you can do, yeah. come along. Come along and let's try to make the best out of it. And so that's one thing. The other thing is that I think there is some room of maneuver to make it better. But we would need a whole podcast on that because it's, it's, it's terribly detailed. But there are some, uh, some amendments that could... Uh, have, could take place within the existing agreement. Do you think that would, I mean, Delo obviously Delors right back at the beginning sort of suggested there could be some kind of shared relationship on regulation, which was something that never came to fruition. Do you think anything like that would be possible if there was a so, sort of weightier global well, let's, let's imagine that Theresa May took a totally different stand and went to Brussels and said, you know, let's find a common solution together mm. and didn't have to think of our backbenches and the Torbard and so forth and would have installed a climate of cooperation, trust and, you know, because in 1989, when the EEA was born, there was just one puff. It was a euphoria. It was a wall came down and we're all going to be in the same group and yada, da, da. But... Not the Norwegians. <laughs> they didn't buy into that. B BS. So, but like my mate who just refused to get into the Stone Roses yeah, that well, year. Well, so, so, but today it's different. Today there is a, you know, Macron, the French president, has said we have to accommodate for a multi-speed Europe. So there is a there is a, a an opening there to say you know how can we ensure that these countries with democratic difficulties <laughs> um, uh, can find themselves within the context of a single market which is a bit more meaningful than the Norwegian model today. Mm. We had Nick Clegg on the show in 2017 saying that Britain's natural position, so psychologically, was in the outer ring of Europe. Mm. Um, I mean, is that true of of Norway? Too is there something about that was that's unsurprising about that about that result? I mean, how do, do you do you Norwegians I, I, feel European but not quite? Yeah, I mean, I, I just have to disappoint you because there's absolutely no logic. I mean, we are the most open economy, most dependent on trade. Right. In fact, statistics right. tell us that we are the fourth trading country with other European Union members. We had a whole uh, twelve. Um, uh, professors, experts on European relations uh, who wrote a green-white paper five, six years ago, and even those Eurosceptics one within it, they said, you know, we'd be far better off inside the European Union. But it didn't change a, 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 a anything in the, in the polls. We have it all written that, you know, EU is good for us. We're a small open economy. We depend on trade. Our scientific communities, our students, our pensions. I mean, <clears throat> we're the ones who live on the on the French Riviera and the and the Spanish Costa del Sol. We are the ones who benefit from all of these things. So, but but membership is just stuck. So is there such a thing as Norwegian exceptionalism? Because obviously we think so much about Britain and we go, oh, well, Britain thinks that it shouldn't pr really be part of Europe because of, you know, because of the war and the empire and just being up itself generally. Um, <laughs> But, you know, with, with Norway, is there a reason why, culturally, despite all you're saying about trade, that uh, the, the majority of Norwegians just think, yeah, let's just hold back? Yeah, there, 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 there are two things. One is the historic aspects. I told you my name is spelled P-A-A-L, Paul, but it's pronounced Paul. It's the Danish version of the O sound, because we were under Denmark for 400 years in a union where we were co colonized. So and that has, you know, there was a revolt there. There was a hundred years of struggling to gain our independence. Mm. I hear and, you. I hear you. And, and, and obviously that, you know, just, ring any just the word union is, uh, you know, is scary to us. The other thing is that, you know, we won the lottery, you know. We mm. have a lot of fish, we have a lot of oil, we have a lot of gas. Mm. Now we even find copper and uh, we've, we've we are a champion of raw materials. And so we are filthy rich. 
we are phenomenally rich. Is that why everything is so incredibly <laughs> expensive? Uh, yeah, well, now the, that's the other... The, 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 well, because it's a nightmare when you go... Well, it's, it's true, but now the crown really is very weak. It's very weak. Yeah. Yeah. The is very weak, so it's not that expensive, but maybe the pound has fallen too, so it is. But you see, the other reason is that there are more voters who are working in a protected part of the economy. That means either depending on subsidies or a shielded part of the economy, i.e. agriculture and fishery um, and defense and health. So, so as long as all these people, the majority of our electorate are shielded from the forces of the eternal market, they are never going to vote in favor of it. Um, Ingrid, if Naomi was here, she would be denouncing... Uh, supporters of the Norway plus Commark yeah, 2.0 yeah. option um, as collaborators, <laughs> <laughs> quizlings, <laughs> if you will. Um, what do you? But I know that at certain points when you you know you were thinking, well, you know, kind of maybe. How how do you sort of feel about it at, at this point? I feel that every time I say what I'm about to say, I feel like Naomi is listening and. I'm going to be booing and be angry with me and I feel bad Um, but I I can only speak for myself but it's so interesting hearing what you're saying about Norway because especially that thing about you can you can present 25 experts and go this is bad for your country this is better for your country and people don't it doesn't matter and I I was somebody sent me some footage I don't know if you guys have seen it it was was from I think it's like 60s or 70s it would have been after the last when was the last referendum 1975 it was around that time and it was it was a man on the street exactly like they do now in the news footage man on the street but in black and white of wouldn't be black and white. Come on, it's the seventies. It was colour. Oh. Um, but in my head, it's black Just. and white. And they, and they are saying they are all saying the exact same things about Europe that they w- were saying now. That we're still oh. saying it's the same people. Yep. So the idea that we're not, the idea that with logic and our our logic and our reason, things that seem so obvious to us, isn't getting through. It's quite comforting in a way that we're not mad. No, that that's you're not just alone. The, way, the way things are. And actually, mm. what you were saying about us coming into. You know the 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 a sort of agree a Norway agreement where actually we could maybe forge a second speed Europe a part of a yeah. European Union that's that's not directly involved in this in the central central part of it but somewhere on the periphery mm. might suit us better. So I, I'm afraid I am still in that let's stay as close as we can to Europe, but mm. we might have to accept that there are lots of people who don't who don't for whatever reason feel mm. that they are they want to be part of a union. Um, finally, Paul, what do you... Sorry, Naomi. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Ooh, oh. saying. Um, what do you think is the most likely conclusion, we're not going to hold you to this because nobody knows, of, of the Brexit process? Where do you, think, do you think... Do you think Britain will end up with the sort of arrangement we've been talking about or, or, to, or, or go to either extreme? I've written extensively about this in the Norwegian media. In front of the referendum, I always said, you know, the Brits, they will finally make the right decision. Um, and after the debacle over the past two years, I'm beginning to doubt. Nevertheless, <laughs> uh, nevertheless, I see it. There's, there's, very little, there, there, there's very little other alternative. Uh, so I see, uh, a, and, and that's, that is a problem for us. If you go for a common market 2.0 a EE Norwegian plus style and you get your own agreement mm. that is going to push us further down the line that's going to kick our uh, us down the lane mm. and then we have a problem and that's why I've been advocating if by all means they should join us let's let's welcome them and let's work together strengthen the institutions and try to make something better of it the best mm. that it's possible and yeah. I, th- I I see no other Solution. So I, th- I think you'll end up in, in Norway plus, and uh, I, you know, we will wish you welcome. <laughs> the problem is the Brexiters will just come back. It, it creates an actual democratic deficit to replace the imaginary one that they made such hay with. That's my. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't solve it. You know, it, uh, the whole get it over with, get Brexit over with. It, it doesn't do that, and they'll just um, come back. And we'll be talking about it for another twenty years. So we thought that years. too. We yeah. thought that too, and uh, and uh, it never did. It never did because it works so well. That's the that's the terrible part. Yeah, but I mean, it solves well. most of the technical yeah. uh, problems certainly. Maybe we could just ignore the Brexiters. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Working on we that. We have to wrap up, and I wanted to ask questions about like article. There's article 102. <laughs> there's article 111. I had all these questions, and now they're fucking making all these like slashing throat so noises. I've got to stop. If you, if you should end up with a Norway plus, then maybe we can do this again. Great. And then Great. we can go yes. Explain <laughs> what we've signed this is up for. Where you plug your book? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone looks very relieved. It's not happening right now. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. The end of the show is bearing down on us like a non-negotiable deadline. So let's put something else in our Brexit time capsule. As we've got two special guests, two things are going into our repository of stuff we'll need if Brexit ever happens. Claire Hannah, what is going in the box? I don't want to be totally fatalistic and say the Good Friday Agreement, but it does. Brexit balls us up the whole thing. It's about relationships in Northern Ireland, East-West with Britain and North-South Ireland, and all of those are completely messed up by Brexit. But I'd, I'd put Northern Irishness. That was something that was growing. People, you know, you can be uh, not just Irish, but Northern Irish as well. It was a shared identity that meant we didn't have to be hostile. And that was kind of growing over the last 15 years. And Brexit has kind of stopped that. And it was something very positive. That's really depressing. Mm. Oh. Sorry. Mm. No, it's all right. It's a really depressing time capsule, I've got to be honest. <laughs> we don't have to go in there with from it, do we? No, 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 no. From a Brussels point of view, I must say that I think what you're going to miss is an MEP. Because you are going to discover what it is to be on the outside in practical terms. You're going to discover um, how difficult it will be to push up European issues on your domestic political agenda. Mm. And if you don't have people on the inside, then you have few people to play ball with and to be that political voice. So uh, an MEP is, um, yeah, it, we, you're going to miss that. And, and the ability of your MEPs also to participate in that European debate. Mm. For this week's European language clip, we've got a joke in German from listener Tom Phyllis in Brussels. Wie viele Engländer braucht man, um eine Glühbirne zu wechseln? Keine. Die ziehen einfach aus dem Haus aus. This literally translates as how many Englishmen does it take to change a light bulb? None. They simply move out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Listeners, we welcome your bits of European language. We're especially up for uh, the deep cuts, Faroese, Romani and Limburgish. Send us a short recording at info at romaniacs.com and we'll use the best ones. That's the end of the show. Thanks to our two guests, Paul Friswold and Claire Hanna. Thank you very much. Thanks to Ian Ingrid and... Not Ian Ingrid, that's not his name. <laughs> Thanks to Ian Ingrid and producer Sophie Black, as ever. Uh, is, this, is our 100th week a good week? Do we feel more upbeat than usual? I mean, we can't be less upbeat than we were about a month ago when listeners, I think... We're like going, are you, are you okay? This is bringing me down. <laughs> that was bad, it's bad. It was quite well, we've bad, got lint it? balls, so it's a great week. <laughs> it's true. The sum total of the gifts provided by our producers. Yeah. After 100 a episodes, you get some chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're back next week for three days in March, the ultimate showdown. Until then, here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, and our thanks to some of our Patreon backers. Und viele liebe Grüße from me to Jim Sinstadt, Alessandra McConville, Mark Gill, Michael Parker Bray, Hamish Loveday, Annette Scanlon, Nick Perry, the best dressed man in Stoke Newington, Julia Hayes, Jonathan Palfrey, and Simon Turton. Hello, and Keputas Cabrones to Alistair Duncan, Chris White, David Tree, Claire O'Rourke, Paul Barnes, Will Worth, oh, Will, hey, uh, Matthew Pincus, Alison R. Andrew Smith and Kevin Giblin. And hello from me to Rupert Good, Catherine, possibly Kate Middleton, David Classen, Nick Powell, Richard Malkin, Jordan Hall, David Dolling, Rosalind Attenborough, Nick Davis and Jack Oliver. Thanks, we'll see you next week.